Wasn't that good? Thank you very much, everyone on the worship team, for uh, giving us a special morning. I start speaking, people leave. Is that how it works? I am. I'm really excited that you guys are here this morning. Uh, in in preparing for this morning and going through the the passage, I was blown away by by so many things. And I I thought we were going to go in one direction, and God ended up taking us a different direction. And and so some of the things I thought we'd be focusing in on, we're going to get to next week. But um, I'm I'm really hoping. My prayer this morning is that. You guys, all of us, myself included, that all of us would leave here feeling like we heard and received life, feeling like we heard from Jesus, heard from God, and that hopefully we get to see more of how awesome he is. That's really what my, what my hope and my prayer is. And so what I thought we'd do today, um, kind of challenged actually by Robin, I thought what we could do is be a little bit more interactive. And so it was kind of neat that Nikki had this idea about interacting through the dancing and, and being more involved. And, and so hopefully we can be a little bit more interactive, a little bit more of a conversation at times rather than just me kind of talking to you guys. But uh, when I wanted to start, when I was growing up, I remember uh, prayer was always a bit of a mystery to me. Uh, it was never really explained that it's just simply a conversation between me and, and God the Father or me and Jesus and me and the Holy Spirit. It was never described in such a way. Uh, it was always described as something that was more ritualistic, more, more of a formula, more of a thing to do, a checkbox. Be- before you could eat, you had to pray. Before you did this, you had to pray. And it was just sort of a, something that you needed to do in order to keep God happy. And, and so I learned that there was a, a proper way to pray. And that proper way always sounded like it was straight out of the 17th century. And, and suddenly you break out with these and thous. And, and so the prayer becomes very formal, very stiff. Uh, it, was, it was like it was a protocol as if I was meeting the queen. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And you don't do the wrong way. And, uh, but what, when I look back on those prayers, it was always about what could I get out of it? What could God do for me? And so you can imagine that my prayers were about as deep as a puddle in Phoenix. Like they just, they weren't very, weren't very profound. And so this is what my prayers used to sound like growing up. I mean, prayers like, for example, Lord, please, will you help the Maple Leafs to win? And in fact, Lord, would you help my favorite player, their goalie, Alan, Be- ba- Alan Bester, to play really well? Because I can't bear to hear my brother talk about how big his five hole is, that it's so big a train could go through it. I don't want to hear that anymore, Father. So can you help the Leafs win and Alan Bester to play well? Or there'd be prayers like, Lord, um, would, you, would you help me on this test that I didn't study for? And give me the answers, Lord Jesus, because you know the answers, and you're in me, and, and help me to do well, even though I should have done better. Anyone can relate to that one? Or uh, there would be prayers of, Lord, could you make that girl like me? I mean, just no, in fact, just notice me. That would be wonderful, Lord. Could you do something there? And, or they would be, Lord, just help me to not screw up and not make a fool of myself. So all kinds of different prayers that way. And again, you could only imagine they weren't very profound. Can anyone relate? Yes. All right, excellent. So this is going to be the interactive part now. So I am curious. If anyone's willing to, anyone willing to share some of the craziest, funniest things they've prayed for? Just raise your hand. We'll give you the mic. And Anyone? This is my son. Now I'm worried now. What's the craziest thing you've prayed for, Caleb? Um, craziest 
thing I prayed for is to win a game. To win a game. Well, I can relate to that one. Anyone else want to share any crazy things they prayed for? All right, Norm. I'm coming to you, Norm. Don't worry. Thank you. I was when I was quite young. There was a little village in St. George. I don't know if anybody knows St. George, but anyways, um, there was about six of us. Got on our bikes and we left St. George and went down these roads on our way to Paris, Ontario. And it was like uh, late in the afternoon, and then it got quite dark real quickly and we were frightened to death and actually we got lost. So I did a lot of praying right then and there <laughs> as a kid was probably about nine or ten years old and that's what all of us were praying desperately for God to get us home. And he did. He actually did. There you go. Excellent. Anyone else want to share any crazy silly prayers they've had? All right, well, here's a more serious question. And you don't have to answer this one. Uh, I'm more interested in you kind of answering in your mind. But I do really want you to answer that question, this question here. If, if there was one thing that you could pray for, one thing that you could pray for that you knew was going to come, come true, like God came to you right here in a vision or in person and said, I've got one prayer and I will guarantee to answer it, what would you pray for? Now, we're going to put some parameters on this, right? So just so it could be a bit more instructive for us and insightful to what God's wanting to show us. So for example, uh, parameter number one, you can't pray for more answered prayers, right? It's sort of like the genie rule. You can't pray for more wishes, right? So you only get one prayer. So we're going to restrict it that way. Uh, we're going to also restrict it that you know world peace is wonderful, but we want you to pray for yourself or those in your own circle of influence, right? So yes, It'd be great to see the Middle East settle down and, and so forth, but that's not really in our control. So it's got to be more close to home. All right. And then lastly, if you're going to pray for something like money, then why do you need money? What is it money's going to do? Right. So if you're going to pray for some kind of an object, try to figure out what is it that you're hoping that object's going to provide for you. So for example, if you do pray for money, it's because I think money will give me a chance to retire and relax and slow down or make me feel more comfortable and so forth, right? So without answering out loud, just in your mind, what's one thing if you could have answered, what would you pray for? Just think about that for a moment. This morning, we're going to look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul had for the Church of Ephesus, and really, by extension, us, the saints. And there are four recorded prayers where Paul's very clear, I'm praying this for you. Two of them show up in the book of Ephesus, which is really interesting. So we're going to look at the first one this morning. And uh, really, only going to look at half the prayer. We'll look at the second half next week. But Ephesians 1, verses 15 to uh, 17 says this, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith, the faith in the Lord Jesus, which is, exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Well, let's pray. Heavenly father, 
It's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to be able to study your word. And, and most of all, it is a privilege to hear from you. And that's really what we're looking for. We're, we're looking for you to speak to us this morning, to convey life, to encourage us, to most of all, see who you are and the awesomeness of you. And when I think about that kind of a task, God, that's, that's too big for one person. That, that can only be done by you and your Holy Spirit. So would you be the teacher? Would you open our hearts and our minds and reveal something really special? In your name we pray, amen. All right, so the beginning of this, this passage <clears throat> in verse 15, it begins off with, for this reason. Right, so Paul's Paul's making a statement of conclusion. He's he's just sort of wrapped up the previous section, and we've spent a number of weeks going through that previous section in verses three to fourteen. And we're not going to go over in that in great detail. If you're if you missed any of that, or you want to hear some of that again, you can go on the website or the podcast, and you can listen to those messages. But in essence, in those verses, the preceding this in verse three to fourteen, in those twelve verses, Paul has been giving us what's been called the treasure chest of the New Testament. It's been like Christmas morning, we're opening up all kinds of gifts that God has given to us, these spiritual blessings. And they include things like to be known and to be seen and to be forgiven and to be made holy and blameless, that it's not something you have to work up to and one day become. This is who you already are. God's granted to us all of these spiritual blessings. And so therefore, the response, God, Paul says, is that God would be blessed. God be praised for what he has done and what he's given to us. And so he's saying, kind of wrapping all up, the, the next step, you know, in conclusion, for this reason, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus and the love you have which other, with others. What's interesting, he says, I too, which could be really translated as I and many others have heard of this report. I think that's kind of neat that the church of Ephesus, apparently they had a reputation. And it was an amazing reputation. They were well known amongst many people, probably within the whole city of Ephesus. But reports had reached Paul on his various journeys and where he was, but not just Paul, but other Christians as well. But I want to notice what Paul wasn't interested in, what he wasn't hearing about, or at least what didn't matter to him. He, he didn't hear about how great their worship was and how wonderful their worship and how connected it was and how on key it was. That wasn't what was important. Now, I'm sure they spent time in worship and song, but that really wasn't what mattered to Paul. He, he wasn't saying, I'm hearing what great teachings coming out of there. And it's you know, on point, And it's relevant. And it's interesting. And people are engaged. And lives are being transformed because of the teaching. Because that's, that's not what I'm interested in. He didn't comment on how beautiful their worship spaces were when they got together or, or how wonderful their coffee was afterwards. You know, those are the things that we often judge and evaluate churches by. But that's not what interested Paul at all. What made the church in Ephesus so famous, what he was so thankful to hear, was this two-part, this faith in Jesus Christ and the love that it displayed to all the saints. You know, I spent some time this week kind of researching and searching online, what, what do non-Christians, the, the people who don't yet know Jesus, what do they think of the Christians? What do they think of the church? And you can only imagine it wasn't super positive wasn't extremely encouraging. They, they felt that, um, that Christians weren't really interested in them as persons, but more as a target. 
They're more interested in inviting that person to, to faith in Jesus, and that's all that mattered. And the moment that person didn't show interest, they dropped him like a rock. And so they didn't really feel love. They felt more like a number, more like a statistic to help the other person, help the Christian feel better about themselves. So it was very disingenuous. Words like judgmental and hypocritical, arrogant, closed-minded were, were often used. Granted that you know sometimes these are the voices of the loud, and, and it may not be reflective of everyone. But again, if you kind of watch how Christians are portrayed in movies and TV programs and on the news, it's not in a positive way. They, they really are against Christians because often Christians are more famous for what we're against than what we're for. That we're more famous for what we're protesting against. And, and it kind of breaks my heart because I, I don't think that's what God intended for us to be known as. We're not meant to be known as what we're against, but known more for our faith in Jesus and our love for others. So let's take a look at these two facets in more detail, starting with that faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith implies something that's much more than just about hearing about the gospel. It's much more than just compiling facts and information in order to repeat on command. It's much more than just knowledge. Faith is hearing and believing in such a way that what you hear makes a difference in how you live. Let me say that again. Faith is hearing and believing in such a way that what you hear makes a difference in how you live. See, it's possible to sit in church, hear the word of God taught, read the, the, the scriptures, listen to Christian music, read all kinds of books, listen to great speakers, and yet it have no impact on you. And, and I know this from experience. I've sat through so many messages, but as soon as I left the building, it was like I did a, a purge and everything I forgot. And, and what I was learning and what was I was discovering, it just, it lost impact and it made no sense anymore. And I think when I kind of reflected on that this last week, why that was the case, it was because so much of what I was hearing was a complicated gospel. It was one of formulas and rules. And, and in this situation, you do this. And here, you do that. And, and it was so complicated to remember, it was difficult to apply. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is simple. And so really, what I want to do is I want to, I want to give you the application up front. And we're going to give it in a simplified way. And, and just so you have some insight, 99% of the time, this is the application of what I teach. Because it really keeps coming back to this. It's best summarized in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 23, where John writes, this is his, Jesus' commandment, that we believe in his name, believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. That's it. To believe, to trust, to rely upon to depend upon in Jesus Christ and his power living in and through us that leads us to loving one another just as we love ourselves. And, and when this change can happen, when this, this begins to be applied, I think that's what's going to change the opinion of the world of, of Christianity. That they're going to begin to, as, as Jesus put it in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that, I, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. 
that the world is going to see that what we're for is we're for Jesus and we're for loving people. Now, that might be scary to some, and some might always be against that, and that's okay, but it's really hard to argue against love. And so maybe you and I, maybe we can begin to change people's opinion, not necessarily going out to change in the whole world. We don't have to worry about that, but just beginning to change the circle of influence that we find ourselves in. Maybe there are some family members that you have that don't yet know Jesus, or some friends, or some coworkers, or maybe there's some people that you meet on your, on your job as you meet and work with different clients and so forth and customers. Who knows what God can do? But let that be a bit of in the back of our mind that we want to show them Jesus and his love. I love how one commentator put it. He said this, love is the characteristic mark of the Christian. One cannot raise fruit without having the tree on which it alone grows, nor pluck flowers without growing the plant which alone bears them. He's saying if there's no tree, there's no fruit. If there's no plant, there's no flowers. If there's no faith in Jesus Christ, there can be and is no love. And so it's so important for us to kind of nurture our faith, nurture our trust in him to allow that ability of love to flow through us. And I think that's kind of in the back of Paul's mind because he's going to begin to pray for them. So in verses 16 and 17, Paul thanks God for them and how they live, and he shares what he's been praying for them. And and it's not just some vague, I'm praying for you, brothers. He's actually being very specific here. He's, He's given us some insight as to what really matters here. And he says he's praying that God would give them, that God would grant them, all of them, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. Well, let's start with looking at that word spirit to to kind of break this down, because this is such a a key portion of of what we're going to look at this morning. So this first, this word spirit, I was reading through the the commentaries of my studying, and and some were arguing that this spirit refers to the spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that God's going to give us the Holy Spirit to provide that wisdom and revelation. Others were looking at it and saying it's talking about your spirit, man's spirit, that that God has given us a new spirit that has wisdom and revelation. And they're kind of going back and forth with all that. The problem is that Paul here is talking about giving them a spirit is talking about something that's already happened. So why would Paul be praying for something for them to experience what they've already had. Like if you've already received the Holy Spirit, if you've already been saved, you already are a new man, you've already have a new spirit, why does Paul pray that you would have that? That doesn't make sense. So there's there's a third option. And I don't think it's talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't think he's talking about your spirit. I think he's talking about something else. And to give us insight, there's, it's helpful sometimes to look at a parallel passage. A parallel passage is particularly common in Paul's writings, it's particularly, again, in the, in the prison epistles, the Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, because he wrote these letters all around the same time. And there's a lot of similar themes in these letters particularly Ephesians and Colossians. And so you can find a parallel passage where Paul is writing to either the Ephesians or the Colossians and kind of line them up and get some more insight into that. And there happens to be a parallel passage in this case, and it's Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Kind of notice a similarity here. For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you see the similarities in the passage here? 
So the, the spiritual wisdom and, un, and understanding is akin to that spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so really what I think he's referring to when he's talking about a spirit in Ephesians, he's talking to more of an attitude, more of a, a deep core understanding. Think about how we use the word spirit often, right? Wow, you've got great team spirit. I love the spirit in which you brought that today, right? We're, we're talking more of an attitude of the heart. That's what we're referring to. And I think that's what Paul is essentially referring to, is that he's praying that you and I are going to have an understanding that is deep within our spirit, goes right to the core of who we are. That's what he's praying for, this understanding. And it's an understanding. It's a, it's a deep core revelation in wisdom. Well, let's understand what those words are. The, the word wisdom here is referring to, to you know, this um, removing of the mystery, understanding the mystery. And so this idea here that we're having insight into the mystery of who God is, that it's beginning to be made known to us. And, and then this word revelation is literally means to reveal, to take the cover off. So a disclosure of all that. And, and so let's kind of put it together that Paul is praying that deep within the core of who we are, that there is going to be some kind of an insight, some kind of an understanding into the mystery of who God is, and that what's hidden from us is going to be removed. It's going to be, everything's going to be revealed. The, the cover is going to be ripped off, and we're going to see in the reality of who God is. Because it's to know him. And, and the word there for know is epigenoso. What a great word that is. It's, it's a combination of two words in the Greek. And the, word, the, the core of that is gnosis. And it means to know in an intimate way. It's not to know facts and to know information, but to know personally, to know by experience, to have a connection with. It is this intimate aspect of it. But when Paul adds the word epi in front of it, it means to be fully known in an intimate way. Isn't that beautiful? That what God's, what Paul's prayer here, sorry, for God is that you and I would have this deep, intimate understanding of knowing who God is. This full, complete understanding of his nature, his personhood, his heart, how he operates, his ways, his intentions, his dreams, his passions what he cares about, it's, it's to know God fully. Well, when I read that, that passage, I, I thought of another passage in Psalm 27. It's David writing. And, and again, we get to see a picture of David's heart in this. And in verses 3 and 4, he says, though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. So everything is going crazy around him. He's in the midst of a tornado. So I can only imagine he's talking about parenting. I, I just, that's just the only thing that comes to mind, right? It, things are not going well. Everything is a mess. And then he says this one thing I've asked from the Lord. I got one prayer that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I just, I love the picture of that. This idea of what's eternity? Eternity is gazing upon Jesus and his beauty. 
and just soaking it in and, and knowing and learning about all these little details that I never saw before that only comes with, with intimacy and with studying it and meditating on But it's not a, a distant, inanimate object that I'm studying. It's a person. And so there's intimacy and connection and conversation and dialogue and back and forth and, and this relationship of getting to know Jesus better and better and better. That's David's desire. That's, that's my desire. See, I don't, I don't want to know God in such a way that I can just simply recite facts to you like I could recite you know, statistics off the back of a baseball card for your favorite player. Like That's not what I'm interested in. I'm more interested in the person. One commentator, he put it this way. He says, Christian knowledge does not consist of certain finished intellectual apprehensions. Certain doctrinal statements and formulas impressed upon the memory, but in a living and constantly growing experience of the saving truth, in an ever fresh apprehension of what the grace of God has given to us in Christ Jesus. It's not meant to be stale. It's not meant for memory work. It's okay to study and learn, but it's it's to do something. It's this fresh apprehension of the grace of God. And so Paul's going to go on to kind of unpack all that in verses 18 and 19 uh, with this epic full knowledge of God. And he says it's going to include three things, an understanding of the hope of our calling. It's, it's going to be understanding this unmeasurable glory of the inheritance which is in us. And then an understanding of the <clears throat> incomparable superpower that he has towards all of us who believe. And so I thought that's what we we're going to focus on this morning, but that's going to be next time. God had something else for us to look at. So let's pause for a moment and ask the question. Of, of everything that Paul could have prayed for for this church, why do you think he decided to pray for this? Um, put it another way, what is so significant and important about knowing God in this way? Why was this so key and so, so significant? You see, when I came to first study the passage, I would kind of read it over cursory, and I was kind of thinking about it and going, oh, I think we'll probably go here with it. And, and I had an idea in my mind. And I came to this passage expecting that Paul was praying that you would know who you are in Jesus. That's what I was expecting. And I, I believe that's a great prayer, and it's super important, right? Because it's so, I just even think about this morning, about how we struggle so much because we don't really know who we are. We, we have this idea of who we are. We have a perception of who we are. But that idea and that perception has been so distorted and so tainted by sin in the flesh that it's misleading us into who we are. And so we miss out on the reality of who we are. And so this idea that this prayer, that you would come to see who you really are in Jesus Christ, that, that sets people free. It allows them to rest and to relax and, and just be themselves, this holy and righteous and blameless person in Christ. But what surprised me, that wasn't Paul's prayer. What, what Paul's prayer was that you would know God. That you would have this epic, fully complete knowing and understanding of who God is. And I thought, you know, that, that's really so much more important. 
Because it's in knowing who God is that's going to inform who I am. That's going to inform who Peter is so I know how to now interact and love Peter. And so it's, he, he went to the core of all that. See, in John 17 and verse 3, we read of a prayer that Jesus had for us. I so wish they called this the Lord's Prayer. Not, not the one we have in, in Matthew chapter 6. I mean, that's wonderful and all that, but, but this is the Lord's Prayer because this is the prayer he gave right before he went to the cross. This is the prayer where we discovered his heart. So they called it the high priestly prayer because the Lord's Prayer was already taken. And that sounds even kind of dry. I mean, this is the passion that God has for you and I. In just one verse and one part of that, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. That's the gift. That's what really is after is just that we would know intimately God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because I really believe everything we need, everything that we desire is found in knowing him. Think about it. What, what difference would it make in your life if you really knew and really believe that God is love and he loves you? If you knew that God has not and will never turn his back on you? If you knew that he's for you and he's, he's working out everything for your good, everything for your best, and, and I know it doesn't feel like that at times. And I know you're feeling anxious and, and you can't sleep or the kids are causing trouble or your, your soul is being you know, flooded with a, a wave of panic, panic and, and things aren't going according to your plan. And, and the issues just aren't being resolved, but they seem to be getting worse. And, and you're not seeing the change that you hoped for. But what if you knew right in that moment, he's with you. And then he cares about every single struggle you're facing. Even the ones you don't yet know are going to happen. I had the occasion where I, I met with someone and, and they kind of revealed some of the things they're struggling with. And, and now I know the fallout that's about to happen from that and how it's going to impact other people and and part of me wants to protect this other person now. But it, I can't. I have to kind of wait for the fallout to happen. It's just, it's what needs to happen. It's the way to healing and wholeness and redemption. But there's, it's got to wait now. And there's this burden on me as I, as I wait to see what's going to happen in this other person. But I know I can't protect them, but I can love them. And so I think that's, I got a glimpse of what God's feeling when we're going through these difficult times. He knows what's going to come of all this. And part of him would say, I wish I could just take it away, but it wouldn't actually help you. And so what if we could begin to know that? What, what would be the difference in you if this one prayer of knowing him was answered in your life. I, I really want to hear from you guys in this one because I've shared a little bit what I thought, but I want to hear from you because I think 
we all need to hear from you. So I know it takes a little bit of courage. And I know when you come to church, you're supposed to sit there quietly. So just pretend we're not in church, OK? And, and you have freedom to speak, freedom to share. But if someone would love to answer this question of what difference would it make in their life? Anyone want to share? Someone other than my son, Caleb. I think if I really knew him, I would really believe how much he loved me. Yeah. And I mean, think about that. If you knew how much he loved you, everything begins to change. Anyone else? What, what would be different in you if you really began to know the Father? I could begin to accept that everything that he says about me is actually true. Yeah. Now we get to know who we are, right? I think if I truly knew how much God loved me, I would be uh, less desperate for the affirmation of the people around me yeah. and, 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 the, and their love for me. Yeah. Yeah, because we wouldn't be so hungry and thirsty. And, and so many times we get into trouble in that desperation search for love from other people. Um, I would say that my heart of stone would become one that would beat again. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, say it again. <laughs> I said that um, my heart of stone would be one that would beat again. I think one thing that would be different is in any relationship, you would have the freedom of sharing this gift that God has given us with more because of that deep knowing that you have. You can share it more freely. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. Anyone else? I see your arm going up there. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that, those, are, those are honest answers and so good. And I just think of the peace, the rest, the, the assurance, the, the things, well, things that are so overwhelming to me right now, I think would, would diminish in size. Not that they would become irrelevant and not that they wouldn't matter. It's just that they would be suddenly compared to who God is. And all of his strength and all of his power and all of his love for me in that moment. And I, I just think I'd have a whole different perspective. A whole different perspective on life and, and, and myself and, and other people. And so really, that's why I think Paul's praying this, is that we could have that kind of revelation and understanding and change. So let me, let me just kind of pause here for a moment and make a comment on prayer. Um, 
you know, many people, you know, I, I think myself included, I shared a little bit, we kind of grew up under this legal, legalistic understanding about our relationship with Jesus. So it was all about performance and what you need to do. So it would be about prayer and, and reading your Bible and going to church and memorizing your Bible and, and those sort of things. And it was all about learning what is the right behavior in order to please God, to make God happy with me. And, and it was just struggles, right? And you just feel like if I wasn't doing enough, then God's upset with me, and he's, he's disappointed in me, and he's not going to bless me, and, and he's not going to hear my prayers, and so forth. And, but that's not the new covenant, right? That's not what we've been discovering as we go through the scriptures. The new covenant is about freedom, right? Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free, completely free. And so the reality is now you're free. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to pray. You don't have to love people. You don't have to do anything. But you get to. And I think for me, there was a time in my life where I was like, I'm free. I don't have to read my Bible. And I kind of then stopped reading my Bible. And that pendulum swung a little too far. And, and now it's starting to swim back. And it's like, but there's great value in reading the Bible. And so things begin to change now where it's not like I have to, but now I get to and I want to. And, and sometimes I think we've, we kind of let that pen, pendulum swing too far and we miss out on the gift that God has for us in his word. And I think something like that is similar to prayer where we've lost to the beauty of it, the conversation of it, the freedom in all of it. And, and so it just kind of gets restricted to key moments and so forth. And, and so we find it hard to pray. We struggle when it comes to prayer. And so again, I, grab the mic again. I want to hear your thoughts, why, why you think it's so hard to pray. And again, I don't think there's one answer to this question. But what are some of the things that you guys have found in your own experience, your own journey, why it's been a struggle to pray? What are you guys' thoughts? Prayer is something I struggled with for probably 55 years of my life. And it was because it was supposed, I was told it was supposed to be formulaic, mm. that uh, you had to follow a certain formula. And the other thing was that I was told you had to have a certain posture. And <clears throat> I don't do well with either of those things. Yeah. I don't remember formulas well, and I, I'm just myself, and I don't really, I'm kind of a free spirit. So for me, it was... You know, I remember in, in church that I went to, they used to say that you had to dress up for church on Sundays because if you were going to meet the king, you would have to be in your best clothes. And then I realized, no, not if my dad is the king. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care. All he wants to do is spend time with me. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that, my prayer life changed dramatically. Yeah. So when you think it's like putting on a straight jacket, you're really not going to want to put on that straight jacket very often, right? Anyone else? There was a time that I didn't feel comfortable praying out loud for fear that I would sound stupid. <laughs> My words would be mumbled, wouldn't make sense. And so I chose not to. Yeah. I, I now have <laughs> freedom most of the time from that. Yeah. It goes back to, again, the whole you know, got to say it the right way. But then there's a performance now to make sure I don't look like a fool in front of other people, right? 
for, for me, it was uh, shame, just uh, maybe not feeling uh, sort of worthy or, or, or good enough for God at times because of sin committed, maybe a, yeah. a, a life lived a, like the past. Yeah. So, How crazy is that, right? It's, I got to get cleaned up before I can get cleaned up. Like, it just doesn't make sense. This idea that, that I have to get cleaned up before I can go meet God, who will clean me up. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like, before you have a bath, Ivan, make sure you have a shower. Like, what, I mean, he just says, come. Right? Um, I felt that prayer for so long was me lowering myself so that God could see how awful I was. Yeah. And then he couldn't handle the real prayers I wanted to give, which were like the challenging ones, the ones that were like, well, why this and why that? Yeah. I couldn't ask questions. I had to be like, well, I know I'm wrong. Yeah. Don't be disrespectful, yeah. right? For the longest time, um, prayer for me wasn't a conversation. It was one-sided. I'm throwing out my requests. And I've learned, I never learned how to hear him speak to me. One reason why I struggled with praying is because I never heard him speak. Just like Peter. You know, how many people struggle with prayer because they think, what's the point? It's not going to work. Anyone? That he's not going to answer that prayer. He's not going to. You want to say something? No, you can relate to it, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's either he, he can't hear me, won't hear me, or he'll just say no because he doesn't care. I think sometimes in my, my life, I've made prayers because I, I, I want to make life easier for me so I don't need him. Anyone can relate to that one? God, make this situation simpler so I don't have to trust you in the difficult times. I think that's what James was talking about when he says you pray with the wrong motive. You're trying to pray God out of a job. He's not about to answer that prayer. Again, I, th- I think what it comes down to here is kind of what, prayer, what Paul's been praying for to know him is it all comes down to what do we really believe about our father? What, what's, the, what's the picture and the concept we have of him? in our minds. You see, the reality is every one of us has a concept of God, has an idea of who God is. And I guarantee you, all of us have a flawed concept of God because you have a finite mind trying to understand an infinite God. It it cannot happen. It's impossible. And so we we simplify and we we fill in the gaps and the spaces. And then we got some lies that we're believing and, and we come up with this idea of God. And so the question isn't, you know, how how accurate your God, your vision of God is, but more of how flawed is it? And some are more flawed than others. But, you know, what do you really believe about God on your worst day when everything isn't going your way, everything's falling apart? Do you really believe that he is who he says he is, that he really desires to bless you? You know, Jesus was talking about this, about approaching God and, and, and praying to God. And he says, Matthew 7, he says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it'll be open to you. Your God is open for business. He's ready to receive you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, you'll give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, don't you see how good your father is? And, and you guys here on earth aren't great fathers, but you love your kids. How much more does our perfect father love us? But you see, our concepts of God have been, have been skewed. We, we have different, uh, all different kinds of concepts. And in, in talking with people and working with people, there's some themes that I've noticed in people's lives. They, they see God as a judge who's just waiting to pronounce judgment on us. Or they see God as being angry. Or he's distant. Or he's disappointed with us. Or maybe he just doesn't care. I mean, he's got a universe to run. So he's uninterested. Or maybe, maybe he's ashamed and disgusted because that sin just keeps happening over and over and over again. How could you? Or maybe, maybe you didn't have a great earthly father or mother. And so when you hear that God's a father, you project your own father onto God and think, that's not such a great God in the first place. My, my concept of God was a, a picture where God was up in a hot air balloon overlooking the sea of humanity where I was just one in billions of people. It's like basically going over the Sahara Desert and finding one speck of sand and going, well, that's me. So how important was I to God? I felt very alone and very uh, disconnected, and God just wasn't impressed. I think that's probably why Jesus came in person, was to correct our wrong concept of him. See, in Hebrews, it says that before Jesus, God spoke through the prophets. And the prophets, like, like Samuel and Elijah and Ezekiel and, and uh, Isaiah, and so they, they came to tell us who God is. But we still didn't get it. So he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send myself. And so Jesus came, the exact representation of God, it says in Hebrews 1.3. So if you had any question of who God is, we look to Jesus. And in John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. He lives in me. And so we get to know who God is by getting to know who Jesus is. And I think that's some significance now in terms of the names that Paul used in verse 17 in his prayer. He says, I want, I'm praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glories. I'm praying to the same God that Jesus prayed to. Remember Jesus, that good, loving man who healed the sick, who had patience and kindness, who wasn't afraid of the muck and the, and the dirt, and he, he climbed into there to love those who were messy and, and, and struggling with sin. That Jesus, that God. And, and he's the father of glories, which could be translated in two ways. It could be translated as glorious father. Everything perfect about a father is who God is. 
He's this glorious father, but he's also the father of glories, meaning he's the source of glories, the source of all that is good, the source of all that is great. This is who this God is. This is who this Jesus is. Can we begin to heal and transform our thinking enough to risk trusting him, to risk relying upon him, to risk praying and talking and and waiting upon what he's going to do. This is the God that Paul wants us to get to know in that deepest, most intimate way. And only God can reveal himself to us. Lord Jesus, it's been a a pretty cool and special morning. And The reality is this journey of getting to know you is never complete. But what's great about it is you are making it happen. You are revealing yourself. You are removing the blinders, taking the cover off, bringing us into an understanding of who you are and your ways. So we look forward to what you're going to do. Continue to to now express yourself through us as we have a time of getting together and fellowshipping and loving one another, that we would get to know you through one another, that we would trust you and love one another. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and who you are. Thank you. In your name we pray, amen.